money's the squid on their face, right? That's the thing that they just can't see past. It's the thing that's keeping them up at night. It's the concern that they have. My role in the relationship is to create an environment where that's removed. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress happening in the world that almost no one knows about. This podcast will give you hope for the future and introduce you to thought leaders who are paving the way for us all to have a brighter future. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles, where we've been curating the internet and celebrating insight and innovation since 2014. We're writing articles about the things that should be in the news every night and aren't. And along the way, I've been talking to thought leaders and having the most extraordinary conversations that we're now sharing with the world. And today we have an amazing thought leader that I met about a year and a half ago, maybe two now, Brad Berger. So Brad is a master integrative life coach. That sounds like a lot, but you're going to know exactly what we mean by that term in about five minutes. Maybe a better way to put it is he's a holistic life planner. He's a certified financial planner, but he's looking at the whole of our lives and how we can integrate things like happiness and contentment and thoughtful planning much earlier than the later stages of our lives. We're going to talk about longevity and bust some myths, and he's going to give us some really practical tips about planning for a whole life that you're happy with all along the way at any age. So welcome, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Linda. Is that a funny... (laughs) Make any corrections you want there in that introduction. Sounds great. <laughs> so give us a little bit about how you came to be here because you know here on the conspiracy of goodness podcast i'm talking to people who are as i mentioned in the opening in this wave of goodness and progress and the first time i met you i knew you were in it i knew you were somebody who was probably trained as a standard financial planner but recognize that you had so much more to add to people's lives. Yeah, and, and, and Linda, you're spot on. So I've been in the financial planning arena for over 30 years now. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty much what I've done my entire adult life. And yes, I, I was what we call classically trained, right? <laughs> um, which, which, by the way, is not a positive uh, uh, way to go about this. So I was classically trained in financial planning and somewhat indoctrinated into the thinking. And we'll talk a little bit about more about that when we get into this concept of longevity. But essentially what ended up happening was just through my journey of being a financial planner and really looking at that nagging voice in the back of your head that says, there must be more to this. There just must be a better way. I was introduced to a a concept of values-based financial planning. And I will share with you, it was probably that was the turning point in my career where I really recognized that that was it. This this was really what I needed to be focusing the rest of my attention on and my, my career on. And that's what began this journey, which is really the alignment of people's most important goals with their most deeply held values. Okay. And this is, again, Brad and I had this great conversation right before we started recording about how the whole world is trying to sell us something. Gosh. (laughs) But Brad, you know, is... 
Brad's come here today to talk to us about some fundamentals like our values, like aligning what we think is important with how we live our lives and how we plan as we get older. And this is adding value to all our lives. I mean, this is what we can do for each other. So I loved your concept about taking this classical training in financial planning and applying it to the humanity Mm -hmm. in all of us. I'm sure you just saw life after life where you could say, well, you know, do you have to live with that level of discord in your family over there? It's not just about the financial planning. You probably saw that you could help people solve other problems besides their finances, right? Yeah, I, I did. And, and, and I'm, I'm happy to go into that a little greater detail, but there used to be a series of commercials right? That I always find the financial services industry's uh, take on, on, on advertising very interesting. You may remember this. And if not, you know, the, the wonderful thing about the internet is you could, someone could go Google if they were really interested. But it, <laughs> the, the whole premise of this is, what's your number, right? Do you remember this? Yes, yes. Right? And, and, and you know, it was these um, a company, uh, we won't name them here, but uh, they really love the color orange. Um, and everybody had these numbers, right, in orange above them. And so as they were talking to people, their neighbor or whatnot, you know, they've got, they've got this big number. And I said, wow, this is what the financial services industry really thinks is important, is what's your number? It's ridiculous, uh, candidly, yes. uh, when, when it comes to that. And, and this whole benchmarking ourselves against other people is also ridiculous. So at any rate, I, I'm happy to kind of talk through, if, if, if you'd like, kind of the, mm-hmm. the process uh, that we follow, I should say, the, the financial planning uh, professionals that I work with, as well as how we came to the integration, if you will, of life coaching, life planning into the financial process. Okay, great. Let me see if we can break this down in some logical way for people. And just so any listeners know, in the show notes, uh, if you see me writing and looking down, it's because I'm taking really careful notes of Brad and my conversations so that if there's a particular part that you want to go back and revisit, the show notes will have the timestamps for those parts. So that's why I'm taking such careful notes. Okay. So this whole once your num- what's your number thing and comparing ourselves to others, <laughs> I can't help but mention Brad's book. <laughs> Let's see. What is it, the, t- the title? It's Stop Trying to Keep Up with the Joneses. They're Broke Anyway. <laughs> that is such a great title, and I'm sure you're going to share with us the concept there. But, you know, I'm always talking about social media in the same terms. I always say social media is comparison without context. Mm -hmm. Like we only see that little square about the person's life or that little rectangle, but we don't know what's just outside that rectangle. So, okay, start us off with this values-based life planning, financial planning, because I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that not everybody wants to be rich. Not everybody wants to be able to you know, travel the world. Some people just want a nice cozy existence that's very simple. So tell us all about this values thing, because I think that's a great place to start at any age. Sure, sir. So that this really gets to one of three components of what we consider to be, and then the fourth one would be the how it ties into an overall value proposition mm-hmm. as, as a delivery vehicle. Uh, but the first one is the methodology, this concept of values, values-based financial planning. And what I like to refer to that is it's the why behind the what. So, you know, we just use this example of what's your number. That's the what, 
right? And, and unfortunately, this tends to be what most of the financial services industry is focused on. How did you come about that? Right. I mean, what was the mechanism, if you will, that that, that created that? Right. Versus. And, and by the way, I don't want to suggest that that's not important. But what I find significantly more interesting and indeed more purposeful in a conversation is why is that important to you? Let me understand your thinking, your upbringing, the things that you value as to why that's important. Because at the end of the day, what I might think is important, like, you know, it's the, again, uh, I'll use some some terms that from the old Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd days, you know, a mansion and a yacht. You know, my name is Elmer Fudd. I don't want a mansion and a yacht. I mean, th- this is not kind of the, what we find. We find that people have real stories that they want to tell as to why it is that they want to do certain things or achieve certain things or make an impact in the world in a certain way. And I think that that's really, really important to, to, to dive into. And it's the beginning of any relationship that I have with individuals on, on a professional basis and, and candidly on a personal basis as well, is to really understand the humanity and the person behind the work that we're going to do together. So when that advertisement and the, and the financial world is focusing on, for instance, I'm just wanting to get clarity on this. When they focus on telling us all that we need a number, that that's right. a retirement number, a number, a, a, a right. amount of money saved before we can retire. Correct. That's that whole genre, right? Yep. And by the way, and, I, 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 de- I despise the term retirement. We'll, we'll okay. talk a little bit about that later. <laughs> Let's talk about that too. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> but so there's this pressure on us all. You know, mm-hmm. my producer is is Brittany. She's 20 something. And, and then I have loads of friends that are in their 30 somethings and 40 somethings. There's this constant pressure that grows on us if we haven't started saving for our later years to have some number, to be shooting for this number. But what you're saying, what I hear you saying is, is that that number is just arbitrary unless you you know why you picked it. Well, exactly. And, and, and it, you know, if there was any validity to the, the commercial at all, because I you know, don't want to be negative Nelly on everything, um, it, it is that it, what it did specify is that it is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. So that, that is the one thing that, that, that is a truism. There is no general rule as it relates to, you know, what you should have accumulated mm-hmm. by the time you reach your income access point. Okay, so I refer to as (laughs) as the R word. Okay, so you stop having access to regular, constantly multiplying income at some point. Yeah, in in other words, another way to put it is when your money's working for you, you're no longer working for money. Okay, there. Okay, so let's talk about how people discern what their values are. I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's more complex than it sounds. Are there programs that you can recommend or what have you? It it is, it's, it is a values elicitation exercise. Okay. Um, And and so that's a a, a relatively common thing. And I will share with you that in many of the material that I teach and programs that I do, it it really starts with the basic question. I do need to give credit to Bill Bacharach. He's the creator of values-based financial planning. He's the one who came up with what's important about money to you. And then that continues on because it, it tends to have a conversation around a quick departure from money because what's important to money 
might be security. And what's important about security is lack of worry. And what's, you know, important about lack of worry could be, you know, being stress-free. What is important about being stress-free? It represents freedom. What's important about having freedom? It allows me, and again, and it's this kind of conversation mm. that, that really gets into the point where it also tends to follow what I'll call, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because ultimately what we're doing is we're getting you off of those basic needs that you have to a higher level of self-actualization. Yeah. Right? And, and you shift from the self to others and then ultimately to, to self-actualization. So I think it was something that you've just said that I thought I think is important for us to make sure that is that this conversation and most of the conversations you're having, I bet you switch quickly away from money to the reason why you want money. Is it security? Is it big dreams? Yeah. Is it toys? Uh, you know. Right. So, t- so two comments on that. So first of all, the reason that this isn't more common is most individuals, again, who are classically trained in financial services, financial planning, are very uncomfortable having this conversation, Ah, right? This isn't what they thought they were getting themselves into, right? <laughs> right? That's number one. And number two, the reason that, that it shifts away from money, and we'll, we'll integrate this into the overall conversation, I like to refer to this as money's the squid on their face, right? That's the thing that they just can't see past. It's the thing that's keeping them up at night. It's the concern that they have. My role in the relationship is to create an environment where that's removed. And again, as we talk through, we talked about methodology. I think you're you're going to ask me a little bit more about what we call the framework and the process. But then there's also the value proposition, which is to say, you know, by going through this, what should you expect? Well, one of them is the squid's going to get removed from your face and you're going to start to develop confidence that things are going to be okay, right? And then once you have that confidence, you can shift to the next, which is freeing up physical and mental space and time so that you can focus on things that are more important than money. Okay. I, I always start these podcasts with, with a quote from you, and I, I love that whole stream of thought right there. Mm-hmm. This is huge. Sure. This is huge. We all want to focus on things that are more important than money. But mm-hmm. if it's if it's preying on our mind, if it's a squid on our face, right, we don't have the peace of mind to do it. Correct. Okay, so start anywhere. Keep okay. in mind that we've got people listening who may be in their twenties or thirties yeah. or forties. Some people could be my age. I'm familiar with lots of the terms that mm-hmm. Brad is saying because you know, in my at my age and stage, I'm not nearly ready to retire at all. But I am familiar with trying to set things up so I can at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing that I always like to tell people is that financial planning is a journey. It's not an event. Okay. And, and I think that that's the, the, the thing that people is maybe there's a misconception over that is that this is just something I do at some static point in time. And it's not that way at all. In fact, it's something that you, that you should be doing throughout your entire life. In fact, I, I will just tell you this story because, of course, who isn't proud of their children? But my oldest daughter, she's a twin. She was the one that was, you know, born first of the two twins. She invited me. That this was really the spark for me to get off my, you know, third point of contact and <laughs> write this book. And that was she invited me to the graduating nursing class at her university and said, would you talk to my class about money? And I said, I'd be happy to. And so I came and and I will tell you, it was some of the, get this, 
most four rewarding hours of my life because the Q&A session just went on forever. And at the end of it, there were two notable remarks. Number one, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I've been going to school at this university for four years. This was the best class I've ever been to. And, and the other thing that was notable is my daughter said, I had no idea you knew so much about money. And, and I was like, you know, I've been doing this your whole life. This is so, so I'm not sure what you think I do when, when I go to the office, but so that's probably the first thing, which is it's, it's the best time to plant a shade tree, right? Was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. When's the next best time? It's today. It's today because that's what we have. And so I really encourage people wherever they are. And and, and I really, here's what I know about and why I'm so enthusiastic about the future. And, And that is that the financial services industry has largely been focused on information, right? And I have better information than you. And therefore I can make better, you know, choices than you can because I have better information. But this is what we know about the millennials, right, and Gen Z, and that is what they value. They don't value information as much as they value wisdom. Information is free. You can get the information. I I don't have any secret information that's not publicly available on the internet. In, In fact, if I had non public information, it would be illegal and acting on that. But the wisdom, the ability for me to apply that information in a manner that's congruent with what uh, an individual is seeking, especially when that's aligned with their values, that's what people are looking for. And the good news about that is I think that the industry is shifting. I'm, I'm clearly on the front edge of that and have been for the last decade plus, and I'm not the trailblazer. There were others far more notable than me before me, but it's still far from mainstream and it needs to be. And it really gets to the point where, you know, uh, there's this also this misconception that I need to have a lot of money, right, in order to engage a financial planner. And one of the things that we're seeing as a rising business model, and in fact, it's something that we implement, is a subscription-based service, right, where it's, it's like being a member of a gym, if you will, uh, or a member of any sort of group where you can have access to financial planners, but you may not be in a position where the traditional model is you've got a big bucket of money um, and that big bucket of money can generate revenue for the individual who's advising you on that. And so I'm, I'm very inspired by the fact that this is becoming a more mainstream model that's out there. Okay. And this is a lovely way to sort of introduce that this whole concept that you can start thinking about this at any age, because I mm-hmm. think that is a misconception yes. that most people have that you have to make, you have to have a pile of money or you have to be, be willing to push a pile of money in some direction to engage a financial planner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mentioned to Brad that I, we, we were very fortunate. My father's aging lawyer, when Chuck, my husband and I were very young, 27, <laughs> He, he took Chuck and I aside, and this was seven years before he had children. He said, you know, you need to put away X amount of money every month of your life because college, when you have kids, is going to be $20,000 a month. 
he looked us straight in the eye and told us that and expected us to gasp. And I got to tell you, I'm paying 70 <laughs> for my youngest right now. So, but we thought that was crazy advice back then. Sure. Crazy advice. Until another person who got our ear said the same darn thing, and they showed us the actuarial tables about compound interest. Then all of a sudden, we got excited about this. And fortunately, at that young age, we started saving and and we did not have to borrow for our kids' college education, only because of the grace of somebody's God (laughs) and these guys winding up in our lives and putting the fear (laughs) of this impending thing in our minds. Tell us about the magic of compound interest. If somebody's 30 right now, Brad, why should they pay attention to this conversation you and I are having? Well, it's important. In fact, in the book, it's so important. And I know you didn't necessarily know this, Linda, but I have no, I interest tables in my book because they're, they're a bit old school, uh, but they do, you know, put a fine point on that. You know, we used to use an arbitrary number based. And, and, and again, I'm just going to throw a number out there. You know, when I first started in the industry, times were a little bit different. We used to talk about a 12% rate of return. I will tell you that that is an overinflated number with regard to what would someone could could reasonably expect in the long term. But just as an an illustration, if somebody were to put away $300 a month for 30 years at a 12% compounding rate of interest, that's a million dollars. That's what that grows to. And so, you know, I think Albert Einstein was once asked, what's the most powerful force in the universe? And he said, compound interest. And so it's it's kind of interesting that we're having this particular conversation because it's an incredibly powerful tool. In fact, this is how powerful it is in my in my book. And I, I talk about this a lot is that there's a list of things right that are important and we call it time versus timing. And, and that is the fact that there is a list right, of the things that you need to have. And those things are things such as rate of return, how often you invest, the fact that you stayed in. And and everybody thinks that the number one result or the, the thing that has the greatest impact on the result is your rate of return. And I will tell you, I, I, there's a whole section that I talk in Success Fundamentals about overrated rate of return. And that's because it's the, the least important thing. The most important thing tends to be when you begin, how much you invest, and how often you invest. And then the other one is to stay invested. Those are significantly more important than what your rate of return is. You Mm. should expect a reasonable rate of return, but it is not the most important thing. So let's not get by there. It's it's when you begin, and that's largely what those two guys were telling us at age 27. Yes. It, it's what's the second one? There is a specific order. And if you ask me to memorize, I'd have to go for my notes, but it's when you begin, how often you invest, mm, how much you invest, yeah. staying invested. Those for sure are four that are more important than your rate of return. Yes. Oh, that is so huge. So the younger you are, basically the bottom line is the younger yeah. you are, when you start putting away, let's say $2,000 a month, uh, I guess that was our strategy. We right. started putting away $2,000 a month when we were 27 in a Roth IRA. Right. So I'm sure that's not what you do now, but what have you. No, Give us- but here's the thing. So let me use the current example, right? So I have an example in, in the book. And one of the things that I do is I say, well, what if somebody started, and again, this is, it's just an illustration, mm-hmm. Right. 
But what if somebody started in as soon as they graduated from college at age 22 and they invested into uh, $6,000 a year, which is the new number for an IRA, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they did that for 12 years. They did it until they were age 34. And then they stopped investing. They just stopped. They never put any more money away. Compare that individual, right, to the individual who started when they were 35 and they invested for 30 years until they were 65. Okay. Until they were 62. We'll, t- okay. we'll just take it to age 62. The first person would have invested $78,000. The other person would have invested $168,000. But because of the power of compounding and how this money would have grown, um, the value of that first person, the person who started at age 22, invested for, you know, and, and then stopped. And I'm using an assumption, I think, of a 10% rate of return that's compounded. That person would have over $2.2 million at age 62. The individual that put in money from 35 to 62, who invested $168,000, would only have $848,000 in their account. You've got the power of compounding. Oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. If we were to fast forward and just let that money ride for five more years, that 2.2 turns into 3.6 million dollars, and the 848,000 grows to 1.365 million. So that's the power of compounding. That's the reason why I, I tell people among the best things to do is just start, do something. I began my career helping people invest 50 bucks a month. Just start. Just start and stay with it. Keep doing it and stay invested. Mm -hmm. And so these are the concepts that we talk about in in success fundamentals, right? Okay. Just the basics, the basic blocking and tackling. Okay. It's lovely. That's absolutely lovely. Okay. So give me a few right here, just because I want people to beat this whole interview to be peppered with practical tips. So one of the things that I've had people tell me, maybe it's true, maybe you've got even a better idea, is that I have a nephew who went from one job, very low paying, but all that he learned allowed him to get this really good job. So he just like crazy wanted to raise his lifestyle and all his expenses like crazy because he put in the time at the first job that was very low paying and then all of a sudden practically doubled his income. But I mentioned to him that I'd heard this great strategy that if he puts stuff away without ever knowing he had it, like direct direct deposits off in some corner that he invested in, in for instance, an IRA or something like that, he would never miss it because his, his lifestyle never increased. And then he had to take the $6,000 away from himself. Right. Tell me some practical tips like that, that people, even at whatever age, can use to kind of almost facilitate themselves sure. in... So there's a concept. This this concept actually comes from a book that's uh, called The Richest Man in Babylon. Okay. A, a, a great. I don't recommend very many financial books. There's probably only three that I would recommend. One of them would be mine. The other one would be The Richest Man in Babylon. And there's a book on the millionaire mindset uh, that that is again a lot of these concepts. But from The Richest Man in Babylon, there's a concept called five five ten. And it basically means you you should be putting about this is by the way is after any sort of charitable giving that you participate from five percent should go towards risk management that's insurance type things five percent should go towards um, savings and ten percent should go towards your long term investments so that's one strategy it works very very well 
The other strategy is take 50% of every net pay raise that you receive and put it towards your investments. And then the other 10% you should put towards your lifestyle. So 50% of net increase to long-term savings and 50% towards your lifestyle. What that will do is that that 5-5-10 concept then can start to grow. You know, Again, it, it's like a nutrition plate. Some may be a little more than others, but generally speaking, 20% of everything that you uh, take home should be allocated towards protection, savings, and long-term investments. Okay. So to be practical, if somebody got a $4,000 raise, yeah. how would that work out? So they, they were having the lifestyle they were having and they get a $4,000 raise. Let's just assume <laughs> that the government gets a thousand of it, which leaves you with 3000. Okay. Uh, 1500 should go to their lifestyle and 1500 mm-hmm. should go to their future. You can put more towards your future, but yeah. no more than half of it goes to your lifestyle. Right. That is the restraint. That is the self-restraint. Yes. Yes. Spot. But I think if you're you if you continue to give me numbers like you gave me <laughs> at the top, like <laughs> age twenty-two to thirty-five, yeah, six thousand dollars a year turns to or what was it, two thousand dollars? Yeah, two thousand dollars or six thousand dollars a year from twenty-two <laughs> to thirty-four. By the time you were sixty-two, would be two point two million dollars. That is something to look forward to out there. This is why Einstein refers to compound interest as the most powerful force in the universe. <laughs> It's obvious. Okay. So this is great. And I want you to continue to give us practical looks at things so we can get fired up about this because it's, it's super important stuff. Let me take a break and I'm going to tell people about something that we've put together called the Conspiracy of Goodness Network, where people who want to do good in the world can find each other and their personal and professional growth can just multiply like crazy. So let's take a break. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all, people like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where All of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world. Those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. 
Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. So lovely, Brad. Keep keep it coming. This I, I think that what you're sharing with us today is a little bit of a departure from what we usually do on the on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. But I love the way your heart is sharing these actually really practical. Uh, and there's no ambiguity here. We're all going to have a future and and we're all we all need to plan for it so carry on what do you want to talk about next well i think what i want to do and, and we definitely want to get to the longevity piece because I, okay. I think that's important and and but before we do that i, I do just kind of want to talk a little broader from the the success fundamentals because this is what's really kind of okay. important yeah we talked about the methodology right the values element the values elicitation values-based financial planning that's important there also needs to be a framework and, and the framework that I think that is important to understand is that there should be a minimum of four primary components in any financial planning engagement. And those four components are a discovery phase, a planning phase, a solutions phase, and a monitoring phase. And one of the things that I think that if people have distrust they have a bad experience, you know, bad taste in their mouth, et cetera, with regard to the financial services industry is because it's probably justified. And it's probably justified because most of the industry is focused on solutions. Ah. And because what I have is what you need. And I refer to this as when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. And so one of the things that we de-emphasize is the solutions. Now, there are solutions that are required, right? You, you asked me for some practical information. For a young individual who's get, getting started, I will tell you, the greatest gift that we have currently is the ability to contribute to a Roth IRA or the Roth contributory component of your 401k. That is one of hands down one of the greatest gifts because even though it doesn't reduce your taxable income now, and I have an example in my book with regard to this, and we can even just use that example that we just talked about, right? In fact, I'll, I'll go back and use that. Let's just use that one for a moment. That $6,000 that that person put away, that $78,000 that turned into $2.2 million, if that would have been a traditional IRA and you deducted it from your income, over the that course of those years, you would have deducted $78,000 from your income. You wouldn't have paid tax on $78,000. But I have several axioms. The other one is the government giveth and the government taketh away. So if the government gives you a deal like you just got to reduce your income during your earning years by $6,000 a year or $78,000 over that period of time, you now owe me tax on all of that money, the $2.2 million. So as you take it out, all $2.2 million will be taxable. But the Roth deal says, if you would have foregone deduction of that $6,000 or that $78,000 over that 13 year period of time, that whole $2.2 million is 100% free from income tax. So let's say you're in the 25% tax bracket. And how much money did you save 
on $78,000, right? 25% of that. So what, $18,000, $19,000 that you saved in tax, but now you have to pay tax on $2.2 million. Whereas if you would have just paid the tax on that $78,000, you'd be rewarded with a $2.2 million tax free bucket of money. So solutions are important. And, and people in the financial services industry make their living some way, and solutions might be part of it. But I think it's an overemphasized part. And that really gets to the fourth element, the monitoring phase of the framework, right? Which basically says that you've got to have a system in place that constantly monitors your progress. And two more points that I want to make, because then it probably bridges into the whole, how did you get involved in life coaching? And why was that important? And that is because through a very robust monitoring process, which by the way, is designed to support this whole framework and methodology and process that we follow, supports this value proposition. It's, it's a journey that we take our clients on. So to remove the squid from their face, which is to align their most deeply held values, excuse me, their most important goals with their most deeply held values, to put in place a process to help them get and maintain their financial house in order. If you can do that, you can create an environment where they have confidence that no matter what happens in the markets or economy or the world, that they'll achieve what it is that they've set out to achieve. And that's what ultimately brings them to a place where they can free up that physical and mental space and time to focus on things that are more important than money. Well, after implementing this for about five years, I was being successful at bringing people to this place where they were freeing physical and mental space and time. And they were ready to focus on more important things than money. And they looked across the table and they said, Brad, now what? Now what do I do? And that's the point in time that I said, you know what? What my clients are asking for is a life planner who specializes in money. And so that's where I started to get involved in life coaching. And now we say that all of the things that we bring to the table for our clients, that methodology, that framework, that process, our value proposition, it's all with a backdrop around on-demand and ongoing life coaching because that's what people are really seeking. Yeah, you know, one of the ways that Brad and I became better friends was I spoke for a conference that you host every year yes. or you did before the pandemic. And I just enjoyed the heck out of talking to your clients. There were, how many people were there? 160? About 120. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I hung out for the whole day and um, did my part speaking, but lots and lots of people came up to talk to me. And, you know, these are people who were living a full life. They were living wholeheartedly. You could tell that they were focused on things that brought them so much joy and that they they had a relaxed peace of mind about the financial component of their lives. Yeah. And I'm not saying I sound like I'm selling something here, but I'm not. I just remember knowing and saying to myself, oh, this is how it ought to be. And I don't think we I don't think we process that much before age 50 usually. <laughs> By age 50, I was thinking about my 20 years from now self, but I don't remember caring a hoot about my 20 years from now self when I was 40. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we make these transitions? How do we make, make we know, you know, we're all saying someday I will, yeah. I know I need to, and someday I will. How do we make that someday be tomorrow? 
Yeah. So the event that you, you speak of is called Ideal Life Day. And Ideal Life Day is an annual event. In fact, we had it on. And by the way, that is on the website through the courses, our Ideal Life Day 2021, which is a, which is a three-hour virtual event which was a deep dive. And, and by the way, it was a, a great way to flush out feelings over the pandemic, as well as set uh, somebody up for a phenomenal new year in 2021. Uh, and that's available on LearnDesk uh, through, through our site. That, and it's uh, absolutely complimentary. I would encourage anybody who wants a, a, a goal setting or, or maybe has some pain that they're carrying with them with regard to the impact of the pandemic, I would uh, invite them to check that out. Uh, I would but, too. Before we move on, tell okay. tell us a little bit more about LearnDesk. I'm just trying to get yeah. every squeeze every so bit I, of value out of this for Yeah. So so by the way, I I hope I'm not insulting LearnDesk. I kind of consider LearnDesk to be the Etsy of education. So if there's if there's things out there that you're interested in learning about, I I put all of my material out on LearnDesk uh, primarily for uh, the world to to be able to participate in and it you know, you can learn to paint or draw or do yoga or or public speaking, how to run a webinar. I mean, there's all sorts of things out there. And all of mine are obviously focused around the concepts of longevity and living a impactful, meaningful life. So that's what I tend to focus all of my attention on as part of my coaching that I do for my clients. And then I'd like to share that with the world. So the way to do that, and we oftentimes talk about this is, what I really help people do is, is achieve more than they thought possible in a timeline that they could have never imagined. That's what people ask what I do. That is what I tell people I do. There is no magic bullet to that, Linda. It's, it, it is a process, but, but among the process is setting a goal, having, and when I set a goal, I ask for five things from a client. Number one, what is it? And people give me the traditional name right? Retirement, mortgage-free home, college education. More importantly than that, what I like to tie to that is what does it mean to you, right? So for example, retirement, somebody might say it means freedom, means flexibility. Oftentimes when people give me a travel goal, they'll say it means education and exploration, right? And the next thing I said is how much is it going to cost to make that happen? And then here's where I think the real key question is, when are we going to achieve it? And when I say when, I mean when. I mean April 21st of 2021, right? That is a when. And then I ask people to fast forward themselves to that date and imagine themselves achieving that. And then I ask the following question, please provide for me a word or a phrase, what you'd be thinking or feeling having achieved that. The connection of all those emotional elements. And then when we take that and, and also connect it to their values, makes a very powerful subconscious connection to them that then allows the, the human mind is an amazing, you know, it's just an amazing part of our being. And I think we underestimate the power that it has when we start to use and connect these sorts of things for what it is that we truly want out of life. So I, I hope I answered your question, Linda. Lovely. No. Unfortunately, it's not a pill you can take. <laughs> No, it is a process. I've got a heading here that people will yeah. find in the show notes yeah. called process. Yeah. Because you just described the process. I mean, you have to have what's your goal. And you, yeah. you define that by things we've talked about here, like figuring mm -hmm. out what you value and all these things. And then 
what does it mean to you? Yeah, I would have to say one of my goals, it, my number is related to this fact that I really value my freedom. Mm-hmm. When I was, Brett and I met during a, a public speaking course, and I thought that's what I wanted to do is run around the world being booked out two years ahead in public speaking. And then when it actually came down to it that I do a lot of public speaking, but I love to do it spur of the moment because I value my freedom so much. And so uh, I don't care if I become the public speaker that fills in with two months notice instead of two years, because freedom is what I value. So, okay. And then how much is it going to cost? That's the real number. That's actually, you got to know the first two to get the real number. And then, oh, I love this concept of the hard date. Have to have it. Have to have it. Because that answers the question that we started with a few minutes ago about like when or why or how do you get started? Sure. If you have a sense of urgency about this date, then you know you got to start today, right? And what we find generally is that you you find a way to accelerate it. You find a way. And back to the human mind part, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things that we always told our kids, and the reason why I'm here in Vermont and I'm looking at two inches of snow outside this window right beside me, I've got a bird feeder here. The birds are going wild because we got two inches of snow on April 21st is that we, I, I, we always tell our kids to imagine what they want their life to look like 20 years from now, right down to every single detail they can think of. And then, then you've got the path. Then you'll know when you're off the path, if it doesn't lead to that thing, that description. So I have an exercise that I, that I help people with. It's called the 25-year vision. Okay. And it's a description of who you will be with, what you will be doing, what is life like, what, you know, what are your surroundings like? It, it, it's a phenomenal exercise. Is it in the uh, the Learn Desk? Yes, it's in my Financial Foundations course. Okay. Yes. All right. So we're going to have a whole lot of links to everything that you've mentioned <laughs> and I mentioned. Yeah, it's it's all on Learn Desk. Okay. Down in the show notes, our show yeah. notes are going to be extraordinary. I'm taking on yeah. more notes than I do, I usually do today. Yeah. So you're seeing the top of my head a lot. Okay. So let's jump to that longevity thing yeah. because I think as we wrap up here. This is going to bring it full circle to reality check. Tell sure. us about the mythology and the, and the realities of longevity. Yeah, I think there's two concepts to talk about. One, one is called the culturally conforming conveyor belt, and the other one is the prime time myth. So it's interesting. I, when I wrote the book in 2015, you know, I kind of went on the, the radio sh- you know, circuit and all sorts of book reviewers looked at my book, et cetera. And two interesting points came came out of that. Number one, the harshest critique that I had on my book, and I'll make this point, was there's nothing new here. And it's like, wow, you know, dagger to the heart. But as I took some time to do some personal reflection, I said, you're right. There is absolutely nothing new here, but here's what's new. What's new is I actually do this. And and th- and so the, this is the process that we actually follow in, in the process, and that is what's new, because you know again I have a few of my own criticisms of the financial services industry, and since I'm in it, I feel it's fair that I can point them out. And one of them is there's just a lot of posers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if you can use that term anymore, but I use it, which is they say that that's what they do but that's not what they really do. The second thing that was remarkable that I remember very clearly, the cover of Time Magazine, I was in a hotel, I was on vacation and I had to do this uh, radio interview and I was in a hotel and they had Time Magazine. Time Magazine at that particular point in time had a fascinating article on the fact that 
back in 2015, science felt that the first person who would live to the age 147 had been born. And so it was a remarkable article that would really push the boundaries of how we think about how we each live our lives and the impact that it would make. Not long after that, a a very close friend of mine who established the Vital Lifelong Institute shared some material with me, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And, And it's this concept around the culturally conforming conveyor belt, which has largely defined what we think about when we think about life. And it's everywhere. It's pervasive. It's in our culture. It's in things that we've been taught by our parents, by educators, by clergy, you know, well-meaning individuals, but the information is candidly wrong. And here's the point. If I were to ask somebody, how old will you be when you die? I will typically get one of two answers. One answer will be, I'm going to live until I'm fill in the blank and I'm just going to pick a range 78. That's one option I get a lot. The other one is I'm going to live till I'm 95. Okay, great. When I query, how is it that you came up with age 78? Someone will say, well, that's the average age of lifespan in the United States. And sure enough, you'll hear it on the radio annually. Someone will say good news or bad news. The average age of an American is now blank, and it tends to be around 78. There's a problem with that. The problem with that is that is the at-birth number. That is the average age of somebody who has to take into consideration all the trials and tribulations of being born, being a child, being an adolescent, being a young adult. If you're 60 or 65, your at-birth number is irrelevant because you've already passed through all of those phases of life. Your longevity now has been extended well past 78. In fact, it's probably more like 92. When I ask people who say, I'm going to live till I'm 95, what informs you about that number? And they said, well, I come from healthy stock. It's my gene pool. My grandmother, my great-grandmother, my you know, grandparents lived until they were 95 to 100. And I said, so you think that genetics is on your side? Well, I can tell you that genetics do play a role, but not to the significant degree that most people believe that they do. In fact, scientists have, have argued this point anywhere from a low of 7% to a high of 19%, and they've kind of averaged it out around 12 to 13%, is the impact that genetics play on longevity. So you might ask yourself, then why does this individual believe that they are going to live to 95? It's because they've witnessed it, they've seen it, and they've created a mindset for themselves that says that that's not only possible, but it's probable. And so I will tell you that that's backed up by science. In fact, this whole notion around retirement and retirement at 65 or, or et cetera is an ancient in comparison concept. It's a concept that was created in Germany in the late 1800s by Chancellor Bismarck. And there's a whole story about that. And in fact, if you go to Learn Desk on there's an introduction to the Vital Lifelong Alignment, you can hear all of these statistics and the story around this. But the bottom line is we are operating in old 
old numbers, old statistics. Longevity of our population is significantly longer than what we think it is. And so I, I tell people, now that you know that, now that I've exposed this, we need to talk about this other thing called the prime time myth. So our society talks about the most productive years that people have, and they probably think that it's between 25 and 55. If I were to ask one of the most productive years that people have in their life, that's what they would tell me. That's kind of the range. Where did that come from? I don't know. That's what I was taught, right? People are put out to pasture. Aren't you getting ready to retire when you're 55? I mean, that's when you're engaging financial planners and thinking about what it is I'm going to be doing, right? I mean, this is the, the this this misconception. Well, the problem is that is a myth that has is carried with us since the Industrial Revolution. Wow. I like to say when man and woman were machine, right, that's correct. You were worn out. I mean, if you were working the fields or you were lifting bales of hay or, or wheat or, or working in factories or you were doing that sort of stuff, you know, working 10, 12, 14 hours a day toiling, then yes, by 55, you're worn out. But is that the world that we live in today? No, we live in what I call the wisdom economy, right? I talked about this, the value of wisdom. So the new prime time in our society is 55 to 85. So people need to be thinking about how are you going to take, how are you going to contribute in the wisdom economy? How are you going to make an impact in the world now that I've just told you, you have 20 to 30 more years to live than you ever thought possible. And oh, by the way, we better be planning financially as well as how you're going to live these extra 20 or 30 years. This is super huge. <laughs> this is huge. Because of the reason that you just pointed out, like, are we going to have the resources sitting there for us? Because, you know, there's a concept that I keep coming up against that I'm sure is relevant to this is this, by the time you're 55, you are able to pick and choose what you give your attention to. Yes. You're probably drilling into and down to and expanding in all the areas that you found made your, make your heart sore. Yes. And the places where you have obvious natural gifts and where experience has taught you how to be more most helpful. And that's what you spend that 55 to 85 doing is being kind of a wise elder who who can, you know, lead the followers to water when there's a drought, who can point to all the possibility that no one else can see because you've got the 10,000 foot look. So so we've got to really set ourselves up when we're 20, 30, 40 so that we can make the most of that 30 years. Yeah, well it, it I mean it's got it's got huge implications in our society, right? I mean, I go back to this article that was written in Time Magazine because it talked about is, you know, have, have we created an environment in our society where, you know, and we have, go to high school, graduate high school, go to trade school or go to a secondary education, you know, do that for two to four years, graduate with a degree, start a profession, have a family. I mean, and this was largely built upon the fact that we've created the system that says, because by the time you're 65 or 67, right, you need to be retired. That's the conveyor belt concept, right? That is the culturally con conforming conveyor belt. Is, is I am now just kind of an automaton walking on that instead of saying, what is it that I want right. to achieve? What is it that I want to do with my life? And would I make a different choice? Maybe I'll have two or three different careers, right? right? Or I may do something completely different. 
yeah. th- th- than what I'm doing now. And by the way, I don't want to suggest that retirement is a bad, this concept of retirement. I, again, I refer to it as an income access point it, it is necessary. But here's what I know. If you retire early, you will suffer from the, what we call the three killer Ds, mm-hmm. disengagement, early decline, and premature death. It's so um, true. And so you have to stay engaged. And so let's take what we know, what we've created, and let's make a big impact on the world. People ask me when I'm going to retire. I don't have an answer because I don't know. I, I, I tell people, it's not like I'm digging ditches. Okay. Yeah. It, this I love what I do. And I plan to do it until they tell me, what the heck are you doing around here? And what exactly is it that you do here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I well I I just I love this this whole direction we've come to because that really is about the conspiracy of goodness that we are pointing to at everything we do at Everwinding Circles it's it's getting yourself to the position in Maslow's hierarchy of needs where mm-hmm. you don't just have to worry about can I sleep safely tonight and do I have enough food and water right you get to that next level you're providing for yourself and others but you can contribute to the greater good. You can feel incredible goodness about, you know, having meaning in your life and follow your passions and directions that you never imagined. And that's what this kind of whole life planning makes you really give yes, some thought to. Absolutely. It's lovely. We could go on and on. <laughs> okay. I say this to almost every guest, but I think that we could take this to a version too. And at some point, or a step two interview. So I'm going to have us wrap up today on this high note about, you know, living the kind of life you'll be happy to look back on and knowing that it could stretch out way, way in front of you in your best years could be a time when you have the greatest impact. So that's just lovely. Okay. So tell us where we can access um, your work. Where's the best way, way for people to connect with you? The easiest way is just to go to the website, ideallife360.com. Okay. Talks about the work that we're doing in, in the coaching space, as well as uh, all the material that I create up in the header. There's a place that says courses. That'll take you to LearnDesk. I think you're going to have the URL in there as well. I'm <laughs> constantly curating and creating content and, and putting it out there. And, you know, it, it's there to share with the world. Okay, this is super. All right, so thank you for taking it in a new direction and then circling it back to what we do best at Everwinding Circles, pointing to all the goodness and progress in the world. So whatever Brad and I mentioned and is going to be down in the show notes, you can have access to it that. So don't worry if you can write fast enough like I was trying to do this whole time. Please go and rate and review this podcast. We're currently in the top 25% of podcasts in the world. And that's so exciting, but we don't see it being that hard to get into the top 10%. And that just spreads messages like Brad's, like Stephanie Schaefer's, like Dr. Dan Diamond's, all the cool people we've been talking to here about good things like this. That spreads it further if we can get further and further up the the podcast ladder. So go and rate and review this podcast and, and you will open a new era for everyone. As always, thanks to our affiliate partners for proving it is still an amazing world. You can find information about them in today's notes too. And as always, dive into the ever-widening circles universe. 
There's this podcast. We have the Conspiracy of Goodness Network. We have the, the website where you can find out about all the, the insight and innovation going on Celebrated. Thank you, Brad, for proving it is still an amazing world. Thank you, Linda. Okay. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you soon.